pray that you would guide us in what you want us to talk about today, Lord, that you would give us a unified mission uh, and you would give us unified marching orders as a family. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be talking about distinctive number two. And uh, already you can fill in the blanks from the beginning. We see here, Church of the Redeemer is committed to being a mission which remains relevant to its culture. A mission which remains relative to its culture. Now, I've got a lot of notes here that I'm going to be talking, so you're not going to be looking at that paper in front of you very much. Uh, so I want you to look up here. I want to start off with an illustration. It's important you can see this graph here, okay? On one side of this, I'm going to put the letter H. I'm going to draw a line. And on the other side, I'm going to put the letter M. Now, this is a, we're all going to participate in this together here, but H representing home, M representing mission. And so I want you to think of this as a continuum, okay? And on this side, we have home. And if Church of the Redeemer is a home to the detriment of its mission, we're going to be over here. Where are those sheets going around? I think there's some right here, actually. Then over here, this is Church of the Redeemer is a mission, but to the detriment of being a home. Get it? Home to the detriment of mission, mission to the detriment of home. And what we're going to do is together, we're going to try to figure out where Redeemer fits on this continuum. Okay, does that make sense? It doesn't make sense raise your hand here. But we're going to start here. Redeemer is a home to the detriment of its mission. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start going across here. And I want you to, we're going to start out with all of our hands up. And when you get to the point where you think this is where Redeemer is at, home relative to being a mission, I want you to go ahead and put down your hand. Okay, does that make sense? And we're going to figure out corporately where we are. Okay, so everybody put up their hands. We're starting here at H, and I'm going to start coming across. And as I start coming across, and you think Redeemer becomes less and less... Okay, 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 right there. Okay, that's not bad actually, but there was a continuum. Hands started dropping here and so forth. So this would mean that Redeemer is equally a home as much as it is a mission. Actually, it's kind of over here a little bit. So if you think Redeemer is equally a home and a mission, that's what we're saying right there. Do you agree with that? We're going to try one more time. One more time. One more time. Are you ready? All right, let's start again. Hands up. Okay, here we go. It's a home. Do we want to be or would it actually What's that? Do we want to be or would it actually What it actually is. want to be. What, yes, what it actually is, home to the detriment of being a mission, or this would be, we're missional, and we're out there, we're a mission, but there's no home, there's no community. This would be home, it's great home, but there's not a whole lot from a missionary standpoint occurring with what we're doing. Let's try it one more time. Go ahead, hands up. This is what it is, not what we want it to be. This is what it is. Okay, coming across, coming across, coming across. Coming across, coming across, coming across, coming across. Okay, there's still a couple who are up. Okay, probably the vast majority of people would have said, 
about right there. And I would say we're probably about right there as well. Most churches are kind of right there. Excellent home. And yet there is this issue of how are we doing in terms of being missional with the world around us? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about being an effective home and also an effective mission. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to take a look back. We're going to go back in the way, way back machine to the 1950s. And we're going to talk about how life has changed. See, in the 1950s, life was a little bit different than it is now. Albeit I wasn't around in the 1950s, and some of you were. I would say, based on my research, Ray, if you could drop me down a little bit in my voice, I'd appreciate it. That there were three distinctives that we see in the 1950s. Number one, that in the 1950s, it was a Christian culture in America. Now, that doesn't mean the vast majority of people were Christians, but it was a Christian culture, meaning the vast majority of people held to Christian values. If you were to take up, for instance, a survey on the street corner, and you were to ask random American passing by, is it okay to have prayer in schools? They would say, absolutely, of course it's good to have prayer in schools. We have prayer in school every single day in the 1950s. If we were to ask the question, is it okay to have Bible reading in school in the 1950s, even, even to the 60s, what you would hear is, of course it's okay to have Bible reading in schools. In fact, in elementary school, we're still memorizing Bible verses, a Christian culture. If you were to ask on social issues, like the issue of abortion, for instance, is it okay for a woman for issues of convenience to have an abortion? Everyone, most everyone would look at you and say, absolutely not. No, and that's what they would say because it was a Christian culture. And then finally, if we were to ask this question, who is Jesus? Aside from the Jews, you would get the answer, he is the Son of God. Because we lived in a Christian culture in the 1950s. In the 1950s, it was also a traditional family culture. I was listening to a pastor talk about this, and he had read in a periodical that the typical family in the 1960s, actually, a working father, a homemaking mother, two kids under the age of 18, a four-person unit, comprised 60% of America in the 1960s. Now, if that was in the 60s, who knows what it was like in the 1950s. It was a traditional family culture. How about this last point? It was a slow-paced culture. So think about that. Think about what life was like in the 1950s. There was no Fios or Cox in the 1950s. Three channels program on at one time. You never took more than two weeks vacation maximum throughout your entire uh, you know, year. People were home every night. You went to work, you came home. Blue laws were in effect on Sunday. Nobody worked on Sunday. You were home, you went to church. It was a slow-paced culture. Now, why am I bringing this? Why am I talking about the 50s and even the 60s about the church in 1960? The reason I'm talking about that is because the church in 1960 oriented itself very well to its culture. There were really only seven programs in a church in 1960. There didn't need to be any more than that. There was Sunday morning worship, Sunday school, Sunday night worship, choir, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Women's Circle, and the Wednesday night 
service. And that was it. That was what they had to meet the needs of people in 1960. It adapted itself well because of the culture, because everybody went home every night. So when Wednesday night came along, people were like, let's get out, because they've been home every night. Additionally, moms only had to cook one dish and then bring it uh, for Wednesday night. And so it was the social fabric, it was the social thing that brought together the community was on Wednesday night. Sunday night as well, you came home from church, everything is shut down, you're not going anywhere. There was no sports games or anything like that in terms of taking the kids to soccer. You're sitting around all Sunday. Sunday night comes along, let's get out. So everyone go get in their car and they come back to Sunday. It was the social fabric. So now let's fast forward to the year 2010 where we live right now. And what we're looking at is the church relative to its culture. So if we were to take this same survey on the street, would people say that we were living in a Christian culture or in a non-Christian culture? What do you think? Non-Christian culture, not a lot of argument there. How about this? Do we have a traditional family structure now or do we have a non-traditional family structure now? Non-traditional. The same periodical that talked about 60% of the 1960s tells us that the number is 3%. That it is totally gone, the traditional family culture, 3%. Now how about this? I wonder if you guys can answer this for me. Are we living in a fast-paced culture or in a slow-paced culture? It's super, it's supersonic, isn't it? I mean, I'm just flattered you guys are here. There's 20 other things that you could be doing right now. We're living in a supersonic, fast-paced culture. Now, why do I talk about the 1950s and 60s and talk about the year 2010? Because I want us to be thinking about how the church needs to change if it is going to be contemporary to the culture that it lives in. And Church of the Redeemer is committed to being a mission which remains relevant to its culture. Now here's an illustration of this sort of played out in, in the real world. Um, three years ago, I helped to start a church called Trinity Church, which is down at the beach. And it's right there if you turn at Nick's Seafood onto Holly Road, big building right there. At the time when we were starting this church, we didn't know where we were going to have church. And we knew we were going to have a good turnout the first day. In fact, our first day we had 220 people, first day. And so we knew that we were going to have to have a big enough place to hold services that were coming up in six weeks. Well, where were we going to do that? And we found our answer in First Baptist Church down on Holly Road. And I don't know if anyone's gone into that church, but it is a massive church. 500-person sanctuary, classrooms all over the place. It was built in about 1950, right in there in the 1950s. And how could we end up being there? And the reason was because it was virtually empty. Awesome. Kids' rooms, facilities, toys still in the room, nobody in it. Now, this church has a thriving history. Been around since the 1950s, 1960s. It used to be the church down at the beach. One of them, certainly. The church, several services, get early, uh, you know, get there early to get a seat. Young families, sending out missionaries. I mean, it was a hopping church. And yet, as I fast forward to 2010, there were some changes. 
Now, as far as I can tell from my research, there has never been a year where there was not gospel-centered preaching at that church. There's never been a place where Christ was not proclaimed, where they were not serious about the truths of God's word, as much in 2007 as they were in 1960. But nothing has changed since 1960 when we got there in 2007. They were doing the exact same thing that they were in 1960 as they were in the year 2007. I mean, the bulletin looked like the exact same as in 1960. They were just changing the sermon and putting it there, the arrangements. It looked like a church that had been transported out of 1960 into 2007. And as a result, nobody was coming. Now, let me ask you a couple questions. Let's see if you're tracking them. Is the church, and I've already answered this, but whatever the case, larger or smaller than it used to be in the year 2007? Smaller. Okay, there are about 50 people meeting in this 500-person sanctuary. Here's another question. Is the congregation older or younger? A a average age, 76 <laughs> years old of those 50 people. That church was dying. There was no young people in there. Now let's assume something crazy happened. Let's assume a young person came along and said, I want to be part of this church. I want to be a member of this church. Even more than that, I want to be a missionary from this church. Would you be willing, church, to send me and support me to go to Southeast Asia to preach the gospel? Now these folks in the year 2007 would have been thrilled because this used to be the place where they would send missionaries out left and right. And so they said, absolutely, we'll support you, we'll, we'll send you out. Well, this missionary, before he goes, comes to the leadership there and he asks some specific questions. For instance, the missionary asks, when I go to Southeast Asia, should I make them learn my language, English, or should I learn their language? Well. The board would obviously say, well, you have to learn their language because you're in their land. Well, how about this? The missionary would ask, should I make them wear American clothing or should I embrace the traditional clothing that they're wearing in their country? Well, you should wear their clothing, of course. You're in their land. You're in their country. Well, when we build buildings, should we go ahead and use our American architecture or should we use their architecture? Well, the answer is you should use their architecture because you're there in their world. Well, how about this one? When we go ahead and hold our service, should we use their instruments, their sitar, their drums, whatever it is that they're using, or should we use our organ? Now, this one hits a little closer to home because now you're talking Bible stuff here. So they got to scratch and think about this one a little bit. But ultimately, I bet you they would say, no, you're in their land, and so you have to go ahead and use their instruments because you're in their world. Now, isn't that interesting that they would suggest that, but they would never allow in their service any changes whatsoever with the organ or things like that. What is the difference? You see, the reason they're advocating that is because they're saying to him that you are a missionary, while they're implicitly saying to themselves, we are not a mission. See, most churches are not effective today is because they do not see themselves as missions. 
Missions is something that they give to. It's not something that they are. They say to missionaries, you go and be the missionary and we'll be the home. Well, we declare here at Redeemer that one of the core distinctives of Church of the Redeemer is to be a mission as much as it is to be a home. Now, a quick side note before I move on. When we moved there into First Baptist in 2007 and the older folks saw us and got excited about what we were doing, they had a new spurt of life. They hired a new pastor, decided, hey, we got to do something here or we're going to die. And they've got some really neat things going on there in the year 2010. So that's a very interesting story. I alluded earlier the story in Luke 15:4, which is a very powerful story that Jesus gives about the story of the lost sheep. Remember where Jesus says, if one of you has a hundred sheep in the, in the field and one gets lost, the shepherd goes and he finds the sheep. He leaves the 99 and he goes to find that sheep. Now, I'm sure that everybody in that culture knew sheep don't like to be left. They don't like when their shepherd leaves. They get anxious and they get irritable when their shepherd is not there. And yet in this story, we see the shepherd going and Jesus gives the conclusion, I tell you the truth, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones that do not need to repent. See, the heart of God is for the lost. It certainly is for us, but his heart longs for those who have not been reconciled to himself. So much that he advocates leaving the 99 to go ahead and get the one. Well, all too often, what is the attitude of churches regarding this formula? Do churches share the same attitude? And unfortunately, all, you know, all too often, the answer is no. To leave the 99 and to go after the one is incorrect. Now, if the one strays into us, that's great. But to go and to go out and get the one is incorrect. In fact, all too often, if the pastor takes this attitude... It makes him suspect in the eyes of the congregation. They, some, get rid of the pastor. Let's get another one. He's going to take care of the 99 and not the one. You know, why do people leave churches? All too often, the answer I've heard is, you are not meeting my needs. And so we're going to have to leave. Well, we're going to leave because you're not meeting our needs. You know, what I'd love to hear, and I've never, ever heard this, is, church, you're not being missional enough. And so I'm going to leave. Because you're not going out enough. It's all too often you're not meeting our needs. And so I want to challenge us as a church to think about the one. To be as much a mission as to be alone. You know, one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing is, first of all, I love lost people. I love pagans. I love lost people. You know the reason I love lost people? Because I used to be lost. You know, I didn't grow up in the church until age 18, you know, went to church infrequently. was not taught the truths of the gospel. If it had not been for this man, Jerry Leachman, and the ministry of Young Life coming and finding me, I have no idea where I would be right now today. But he did, and his heart was for the lost. And so my desire is for lost people to come and hear the gospel. Now, I could go out and do that and spend all that time doing that and have to do that, but I realized something. That if I can be more effective at encouraging you and getting you passionate about the lost and helping to train and equip you, then now we've got 60 people who are now to reach the lost. 
and then 120, and then 180, and this concept of multiplication and multiplication. You know, if we are about God's purposes, just like in the sermon today, God is going to bless this church. God is going to grow this church because God's heart is for the lost. And so what I'm asking as we work through this process is for you to help me push this rock together. To move this rock over here. If we're going to err in any way, I'd love us to err on this side of being more missional than being a home. To push that rock together because I can't push that rock alone. If that's why we're having these distinctive meetings where we're working these meetings. So what I want to talk about for the rest of this time together is how do we position ourselves as a church to be a mission that remains relevant to its culture? Here's point number one. Church of the Redeemer seeks to be change-oriented. Change-oriented. There was a test by Western Electric uh, some time ago called, uh, in which they figured out something called the Hawthorne Effect. Anyone ever heard of the Hawthorne Effect? Okay, great. This was basically, they evaluated productivity in the workplace based on lighting. They, they figured out that they normed the lighting in productivity in a certain area. And then they made a change. They made the area more bright. And lo and behold, what did they discover as they increased the lighting? Productivity increased on the work floor. And so they assumed brighter light, more productivity. But then they did something else. They countered by bringing the light down, assuming that productivity would go down. And you know what they discovered? Productivity went up again. What they discovered was that it was not the issue of the brightness of light that brought productivity. It was the issue of change. Change helps to increase productivity. You know, change is a very strange thing. We're attracted to change. And when we come into it, it attracts us. But once we get in, we then seem to want to resist change, to kind of hold things the way that they are. But the truth of the matter is that we always must be changing as we meet the needs of a changing world around us. Great book out I recommend you read, Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> Great book by Spencer, uh, Spencer Johnson and Ken Blanchard. Who Moved My Cheese? The cheese is moving. And so we must acknowledge that. And so 1.1, we are committed to meeting needs as opposed to maintaining programs. Why? Because it's the needs that are important, not the programs. We start up a program to meet a need, but if we're not cognizant with what's going around, 5, 10, 20 years past, we still have a program that is not meeting the needs of the culture around it. 1.2, we are committed to doing evaluation on a regular basis to find out how well we are meeting our needs. One of the key questions that I want us always to be asking the Church of the Redeemer is why? Why are we doing what we are doing? You know, the, great, the best pastors out there have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. They're taking this truth and applying it to the world that they're living in. That's what I want us to be about, asking the question, why? So we're committed to doing evaluation on a regular basis to find out. 1.3, we are committed to creating leadership structures which bring on new leaders. New leaders on a regular basis. We want to create opportunities for you, as soon as you, you know, a member even in our situation right now, where you can move into an area of leadership in this church. 
start exercising leadership. We're going to be having a membership process at least twice a year. If you look at our calendar, this is functioning as our Inquire seminar, and in, I think it's uh, mid-November or early November, we're going to be having membership. But we want to move folks into leadership right away in different areas of ministry. The only section where we want a little bit more time is that section of elders and deacons, where we want you to spend a little bit more time getting the lay of the land with the church. So when you step into those type of positions, you're ready to do so. But we're interested in bringing in new leadership and new ideas and so forth. 1.4, we are committed to updating our worship and ministry menu on a regular basis. Anybody familiar with this concept called worship wars? You heard of worship wars? You know, worship is one of the biggest battlegrounds out there. I'm thankful at our church because I don't think that we have a lot of that, but there's a tremendous amount of pressure and tension out there. About 10, 15 years ago, you started seeing placards on the sign, uh, you know, where it was contemporary worship at 9 o'clock, traditional worship at 10.30. Which never made any sense because the contemporary people are the ones who slept late and the, and the traditional ones were the early ones. Well, what was going on there? Well, it was all about my needs. My needs. It's about me. And so that's been a bad idea. I don't think we're never going to have a contemporary and a traditional. We're going to submit to one another and worship together. But what does that call for? It calls for humility on our part. Understanding that it's not always about me and it's also about a world that is out there. But us continually looking at worship, uh, updating our worship and ministry menu. Point number two, Church of the Redeemer see, seeks to be growth-oriented. Growth-oriented. We, 2.1, we, we are committed to continuously keep growing. This is Lyle Schaller, who was a famous church consultant, who's right on the money with this quote. One thing is certain, a church must never stop growing. When it ceases to grow, it will start to die. When it stops growing, it will cease to hold its dynamic leadership. If it's a multiple staff church, its staff will look for other churches which offer challenge, adventure, and excitement. Dynamic, effective, energetic, and successful laymen, as well as professional churchmen, gradually drop away from a non-growing situation. Finally, a church realizes that in losing its dynamic leadership, it has allowed the seeds of death and decay to become established. We need to be growth-oriented because God is growing His church. At the end of the day, what size church will this be? I don't know. That's not a question for us to answer. The more important question is, are we positioning and ourselves in a way to be growth-oriented? Now, here's one of the biggest challenges to being a growth-oriented church. And in the case of Redeemer, uh, you know, most churches are started by a small group of people, you know, which are kind of your core group. And these people meet and meet and so forth. And then eventually a worship service starts to grow around this core group of people. And people start to come. But it becomes challenging to break into this core because of the relationships and love. And if, if the group starts to look inward, if you will, rather than outward, people can't penetrate into this inner core of leadership or community, and gradually they go away somewhere else. Now, one of the things I want us to look at is being much more a church like this, made up of different groups of people, functioning with different purposes, whether journey groups, which I talked about a little bit, 
neighborhood groups, which come together for the worship service, but are also coming together in, in community, in fellowship, in leadership, in different areas, rather than one core that we're trying to penetrate. We're what we call gathered and we're scattered. I'm glad that we're talking about the book of Acts, because the book of Acts illustrates this probably best than anything. I'm going to take you through 2,000 years of church development right here, hopefully. I want to use two words, gathered and scattered. Okay, the original church, the church in Acts, was gathered. They would come together. They would meet in the temple courts, remember? Meeting daily. And the Lord added daily to those who were being saved. You see, they were a home simultaneously being a mission. They were worshiping in front of the nations with an eye toward adding people. They were gathered, and while they were gathered, they were a home and equally as much a mission. And then during the week, they would go back. We see in Acts 2 that they met in, the, in their homes and joined fellowship together. And they took this concept of the big celebration, and they took it small during the week. They scattered into these smaller groups, these smaller type congregations. But while they did so, they continued to keep this philosophy of home and mission simultaneously. They gathered and they scattered. This was the New Testament church. Well, along comes the Middle Ages, or the Dark Ages, some says, regarding church development, where you know church became the national institution. And this gathered and scattered concept disappeared. Okay, really it was just gathered. Okay, you would come. You would come to the cathedral on Sunday. You would meet. You had to meet. It was outlawed if you didn't meet. It was just kind of a home. But not even a home. It was the state-sponsored religion. You just, you just was. Okay, we're going to call this Middle Ages. But along came the Reformation. Okay? And they recovered this idea. So we're gathered here. There was no scattering at this point in the Middle Ages. Along came the Reformation. Okay? And they got this concept of the church being a home, the church being the called out. It wasn't just a state religion, it just wasn't something you did, it was someone that you were. And the church would gather and they would go ahead and there was a home. Not as much a mission, but there was a home for the people of God. I'm being very simplistic here, but I've got to cover a lot of different areas. Along in the 1970s came a church called Willow Creek. Okay? And Willow Creek got an idea. And they said to themselves, look, we're more than just a home. What if we used our gathered time to be missional in what we're doing? To arrange our service to be more radical in engaging the world around. And so they took this concept... They were gathered, there's no scattered here in the Reformation, churches. They took this concept of gathered and they recovered this idea of home and mission. It was a home, but it was simultaneously looking to be a mission, to reach out to people with their service. But there was no scattered. Okay, it was just home. Okay, big service, big whatever, do it everything. Okay, along 1980s, we come along with the small groups movement. There's small groups and small groups, small groups, small groups, small groups. So, taking the Willow Creek concept of gathered, 
continuing to make the church a home and a mission and scattering, but just for home. No mission. Get scattering in homes for growth, loving one another, living out life, but not really looking outside ourselves in the scattered concept. Just being the small groups together. Well, where we are trying to get is to get back to this model originally here, which is the future, which is being both gathered. This is what Redeemer wants to be. A church that gathers is thinking as much about the world around when we gather and then breaking up and scattering and also thinking in our homes, creating different types of groups where home, where mission is just as important in the small group as it is in the big group. Gathered and scattered. I hope that makes sense. <clears throat> well, how are we going to do that? 2.2. We are committed to taking significant risks for the cause of healthy growth. It's risky to try new things. You might fail. You might make a mistake. You might mess up. We are going to mess up. We are going to make mistakes. But we must take significant risks in order to accomplish the mission that God has called us to. And this finally brings us to point three. Church of the Redeemer seeks to be mission-oriented. We are committed to being mission-oriented as opposed to nurture-oriented. Viewing nurture, it should say, as a means to mission, never as an end in itself. Okay, what am I talking about when I say this? Think about it this way. Let's say that I had a Super Bowl party, okay? And I invited you over for the Super Bowl party. Now, we all know Super Bowl, big food. You know, let's say I laid out just a smorgasbord for you to come over and to eat food. We were going to eat and drink and have a great time, and we were going to watch the Super Bowl. Well, we do that. We stuff ourselves. We have a great time. We watch the Super Bowl, and I say, hey, let's, it's halftime. Let's go play football. Everybody looks at me like, oh, are you kidding me? We just ate. We're so full. We don't want to. It's super or full. What if we did it this way? What if when you came, all of you came, instead of feeding you right away, I said, let's go play football right away. So we go, and we go play football, and we have a great time playing football. And it's fantastic, and it's fun, and it's great. And then we all come back to my home, and guess what? The smorgasbord is right there. Now, are you going to dig into it with more zest or less zest? You're going to dig into it with more zest. Why? Because you've played the game. And now you're coming back and you're eating and you're enjoying. What's the difference between the two? If you play first, you enjoy the food even more and it strengthens you. But if you play second, you may never get around to playing at all. See, we're in the business of playing the game. And the playing the game is being a mission and going out and engaging the world. And the job of Redeemer is to help equip you and help nourish you and help strengthen you, but to get us to play the game. Because if we play the game, our fellowship is going to be even more sweeter. Our taking in the nutrients of the greatness of the faith is going to be even more rich because we need it, because we're participating in the game. It's so easy to meet for Bible study and meet for this and all of the great programs of the church and never get into the game. But we want to go ahead and get in the game 
and then enjoy that. You know, my richest time of fellowship, honestly, was, was uh, in college fellowship uh, involved with Young Life at the University of Virginia. And I'll tell you why it was so rich, because every week, all of us were going out to local area high schools, walking into a place where we didn't belong, spending time reaching out to high school kids for Christ. And it's an intimidating thing to walk into a school and try to share Christ with people that really could care less. And so when we gather on Sunday for leadership, our worship would be sweeter. Our desire to hear the word would be even more important because we had played the game during the week. And that's what we want to be about. We want to be about a church that's gathered and scattered as well. And so we see there 3.1, we're committed to being mission-oriented as opposed to just nurture-oriented. 3.2, we are committed to reaching the unchurched as our first priority. Now this is a tough one, because I, I confess I'm a little bit insecure. I, I care a lot about what you think. And sometimes the message, I haven't heard it here, but I certainly have heard it before in other churches, is if you change, I will leave. If you change what you're doing, I will leave. But if I walk out the door and I listen to the world around me, what I hear is this. If you don't change, I won't come. We have to be an outward-facing church, as committed to mission as much as being committed to home. 3.3, we are committed to making our worship service seeker-friendly without sacrificing true worship or sound teaching. Seeker-friendly without sacrificing true worship or sound teaching. Here's the truth of the matter. People come into the church with preconceived notions of what church is like that have been ingrained into their brain since they were age five years old. They come expecting a certain thing. We must give them something different, something that overwhelms them, something that shows them, that breaks down their, their pretensions, that, that Christianity doesn't speak by language. It's, it's, it's half-baked. It's not excellent. All of these sort of things. We must be seeker-friendly. We must keep evaluating how we do worship, how we do our service, make it relative to people. I appreciate your, I, I appreciate your uh, feedback, giving me feedback and comments and taking in. You know, this is a group process by which we're doing so. But this involves us laying down some of our rights in terms of I want it my way and I want it now or else I believe. As opposed to what do we have to do to be as much a home and a mission as possible. Finally, 3.4, we are committed to helping our people identify and reach a specific target group. Target group. See, the ultimate gathered and scattered is also the final, which is a scattering where we go out into the world where we are. Everybody has a target group. If you don't know who your target group is, you don't have one. And so part of our job is to help you identify who is the group that God is calling you to reach. You know, for me, my target group is really two areas. One is uh, you know, I don't have much time, but I'm, I go to all my kids' sports. And so I get to interact with dads, you know, on the lacrosse field and the soccer field and interact. And that's a target group for me. That's a chance for me to take Christ onto the soccer field and lacrosse field. And it's amazing when you look to be Christ to someone, God is stirring in people's hearts. There's this one guy who's, his son plays lacrosse and he kind of knows a little bit what I'm about. And he started talking to me about spiritual things. And I said to myself, light bulb. God's working in this person. 
how can I come alongside him? And so every week we go and we, uh, and we get a run in together. Where we just go running for 45 minutes, usually during one of our kids' practices, and we talk a little bit about what it means to be a follower of Christ. He's not convinced. He's still taking it in. But there's, that's my chance to engage with him in his particular target group. So one of the things that we want to do is help equip you so you feel like when I walk out, I can walk out in confidence being able to talk about Jesus Christ. But we're gathered and we're scattered and we go out and so forth. I'm going to stop the presentation here because we're running out of time, but I do want to take...